The Entrepreneur's Journey with MIC is brought to you by the Mine Workers Investment Company, your active equity partner. Starting a business that makes money is one thing. Making money while making a difference is another. Add being backed by a major investor into the mix and you've got a trifecta that every entrepreneur dreams of. Whilst this treble seems somewhat out of reach, there are some South African go-getters who have found a thriving space in this jigsaw world of business and earned the support of industry leaders to help build their empires. I'm Bongani Bingwa and in this series, I'll introduce you to five South African businesses that are well on their way to making a profitable change, so much so that they were chosen as investees by the Mine Workers Investment Company as part of the MIC Kulisani Ventures campaign. To kick off the Entrepreneur's Journey podcast series, I'm joined by MIC CEO Mary Bomela and CIO Nchaupe Kaule to unpack the intersection of profit and impact and discuss the journey of selecting the investees. Let's get into it. The Mine Workers Investment Company was formed back in 1995 by the Mine Workers Investment Trust to create a sustainable asset base for the benefit of mine, energy and construction workers and their dependents. Mary, what is the history of the trust? So the Mine Workers Investment Company is an investment company, as we say, which was founded by the Mine Workers Investment Trust back in 1995. And really the aim was for us to be able to create an asset base and an income for the trust to be able to fund its social programs. The trust was actually formed by the National Union of Mine Workers. And as you understand, the union really deals with labor issues, but they've got members who've got other social needs and other programs. And I think it was good, I think back in 1989, when they realized that it was important that they look after the needs of their members for far more than just um, labor issues. So that's how then the trust was formed. And the trust really runs programs, social programs, as we say, mostly in education. So we've got a large education trust called the JB Marks um, Education Trust. And there it is to educate the beneficiaries of mine workers, be it the member themselves or their, or their children or their dependents. They can go and study at any institution of higher education in South Africa, any course that they want to study, and they don't have to pay back. And um, the only thing they have to do is to plow back their services into the communities from which they come from. And the rationale really is to break the cycle of poverty because we do understand that education for us is a big issue. We see how it has helped to break that poverty of cycle for many families. 700 million rand paid out yeah. since 1995. Yeah. I would say that's a resounding success. It is, but we've got other projects. So over and above the, the bursary trust, we've got another education trust, um, which is called the Elijah Bahai Memorial Tr- uh, Education Trust. And that really is to reskill existing mine workers. So as a mine workers, you need to up your skills. You want to do computer courses. We also help um, the labor guys with um, labor education, so negotiation skills, uh, labor law, and and how they help their fellow um, union members. And then lastly, we've got a program that helps to reskill ex-mine workers because we know that most of our mine workers are not really skilled in any other thing besides the one thing that they were doing on the mines. And with the mining industry shrinking, we do have a lot of miners who are retrenched and they have to go back home without any other skill. 
So we've got programs that we run in the communities, mostly from what we call labor sending areas. And there it is to reskill our miners and the communities in which they come from and provide them with a basic skill so that they can earn a living. Most of that would be subsistence farming because just because of the rural areas from which they come. But it, we've had um, good projects, big projects. We, we've had, for example, the Amarula uh, project where we, we had an Amarula farm and we were able to um, you know, get that on a large scale and be able to sell that produce back to, to into the commercial supply chain. That is one particular highlight. Can you readily think of any stories that would really paint the journey since 1995? Definitely. You know, our highlight for the year as investors, I mean, what we do on a daily basis is, is reinvestment, which is a core skill of, of, our mem- of our staff members. But the highlight of our year is always the graduation ceremony, where we see the graduates of the JV Marks coming through and getting different qualifications with distinctions. And really, across the board, we've produced more than 18 medical students um, of the program. And we've got a, you know, a, a blind lawyer that came through the ranks. She's doing very well now. I think she's, she's been out of the program, sure, about seven years now. And over the years, every single year, you see you know, a child that will stand on stage and tell their story. I think the most touching ones are also those whose parents have passed on. And yet they are dependents of mine workers because that child might be left with a goggle. And now they, you know, come and they get a qualification and they will help that family. They will help their siblings to make sure that they take the family to the next level. So it's always heartwarming to see the graduation. Chaupe, you've got extensive experience in private equity, corporate finance. What attracted you to MIC? So what attracted me to MIC was an opportunity to use those skills to make a difference. We like saying that at MIC, we're private equity with a purpose or private equity with a heart. A lot of the programs that we support speak to that. So we are driven by a need for sustainability. So certainly financial returns are very important to us, but we don't look at financial returns in isolation, which is where our foray into impact investments actually came from. We took it upon ourselves to use the base that we had accumulated over a number of years to see if we can leverage it for social good. And the ability to bring my skills, my uh, network into an environment like that and make an indelible mark on South Africa's society proved to be an attraction. Mary, why entrepreneurship? So when we looked at impact investment, there were various areas that we could go into, uh, such as education, health, housing, and, and so on. But we also wanted to make sure that it is in line with the core of what the MIC does and what we know how to do best and so that we can leverage our skills and expertise internally as well. So entrepreneurship really is to help our small black entrepreneurs to grow their businesses. We know the strive of black entrepreneurs in terms of accessing capital. Many are unable to raise funds, especially from the banks, simply because they don't have guarantees or a strong balance sheet that they can borrow from. So with our money, we are plowing in equity into these businesses. They don't have to pay us back in the short term like you would have a loan. And that provides the entrepreneur with space to focus on their business and to grow their businesses to the next level. Chabi, maybe let's take a step back and talk about what is impact investment to begin with. 
Impact investment is an opportunity to not only seek out financial returns, but seek out financial returns while addressing a social need. An example of that would be, at the moment, all South Africans are affected by load shedding, right? There is a need for a more stable energy supply to keep our economy going. There are entities and individuals that are in a position to afford alternative power sources, but there is inequitable access there too. So an entrepreneur out there might come up with a very cheap means of alternative power. Now, given the energy crisis that we have in South Africa, there is a lot of money that you can make from providing this alternative uh, energy source, particularly at an accessible price point. There is social good that stems from the provision of this good or service and the investment into growing such an initiative is what would qualify as an impact investment. So how we look at it as Mick is to say, given that ultimately there is a trust that has initiatives and programs that need to be supported through our activities, we do need the financial return component, but the two are not necessarily mutually exclusive. So we believe you can still extract financial returns, very decent financial returns at that, while still delivering a social good. And that's been the ethos and the approach to impact investment that we've had. Very. Take me through the conceptualization of the Kulisani Ventures Fund. What was the thinking behind it? So when we turned 20, uh, which was back in 2015, we had a solid balance sheet. And the discussion really was about us being able to invest in a manner that has a bigger impact. Whereas we normally would have invested and paid the dividends through to the trust and the trust would then pay for the, the projects that they are supporting. But then we then said we could still actually make even a bigger impact through the way in which we invest. So for about three years, actually, we went through a journey of looking at the areas, the how and the why and how we would really make this work to make sure that it is meaningful and it delivers the impact that we are looking for. And based on that three-year research, we then decided on access to, to funding, which is the, the route that we took as our first step into impact investment. And that would be providing, and we call ourselves the uncle of black kids, because really you don't have the uncle who's going to stand behind you and sign that check for you. So with Kulisani, we actually put our first 100 million rand aside, and we've actually this year topped it up to 300 million to make sure that one, we can put in equity behind these businesses, but secondly, that we can also put in further money, follow up capital to ensure that they do grow to the next level. The word Kulisani actually means to grow, and that's why we named the fund Kulisani, is to make sure that we can get our black entrepreneurs and grow their businesses further, and hopefully one day have one unicorn that we can produce from the MIC. I love the idea of being the uncle and, and the use of that word, but I also think about it in Chaupe as a kind of dragon's den at the same time. You've got these bright young minds full of spark, full of ambition, full of hope, who come and present to you, what is that X factor that tells you immediately, this is a business, this is a venture to bet on? So there are a number of factors that we looked for, but the three common ones were, did they address a need that was out there in a very innovative manner? We also looked at the ability to scale because 
growth is important ultimately if the intention is to keep the economy growing to create more jobs to create deeper impact then growth is a very important consideration and that's why scalability was equally important for us and then lastly it was the drive of the entrepreneur themselves and the team if they had access to a team the team that they had around them we launched Kulisani 2 years ago so we've run two cohorts and there were certain lessons that we learned from our first cohort which we've applied to the selection of our second cohort businesses and what we learned was it's important for the founder that you back to have a team that they can bounce ideas off entrepreneurship is a very lonely game half the time you you know it it feels like an echo chamber it's good to bring in an institutional investor like ourselves to help give you a sounding board but you also need a team that can help you both execute and can help you co-create in the, this journey towards creating ultimate value ultimate wealth for the entrepreneurs concerned and ultimate impact which is what we are backing but you also meet prospective applicants i would imagine at times when they're almost on their knees because the funding journey is sometimes so difficult how do you separate the wheat from the chaff it's very difficult because as you've said bongane um from time to time there is an element of empathy that comes with hearing the story of a would be entrepreneur or an entrepreneur that has been at this for a while and they know they need to pivot but they just don't have the capital to do justice to the pivot so what we need to do is take a step back there's a saying that we have in the office there may be a gap in the market but is there a market in the gap and what that means is notwithstanding the fact that you've identified that there may be an opportunity and you are pursuing this opportunity it might be that the depth of the market ie the, the number of customers that are available for you to serve is just not big enough and in discerning who to back and who not to back it's important to have a very honest and robust discussion around uh, this concept of whether there is indeed uh, a market in the gap and ultimately that's how we end up choosing the winners from the ones who still need to go through a few more iterative versions of their business model were there entrepreneurs you were sad not to assist yes there were there was a team of brothers who came up with a very interesting logistics solution in the townships they were very backable but probably too early for our involvement i i believe there is still an opportunity there you know so just because you didn't get funding or we didn't invest in you in cohort 1 or cohort 2 it doesn't mean the doors closed part of being the uncle to young black businesses is having that sympathetic ear and always being accessible it might be that the next conversation we have they'll be ready for us to invest in them what well, what's also important is that during that round we give a lot of advice so if you you don't make it through we do sit down and discuss the why you didn't make it through and maybe some of the things that you need to consider going forward and what has been interesting is that we saw some businesses come back for the cohort 2 and they're definitely improved they had you can see that implemented some of the 
advice that we had given, and they are now in the running for funding this time around. Still to come on the entrepreneur's journey with MIC. A lot of the time you hear that the youth is lazy, the youth doesn't want to work, and they've got no ideas. I was so impressed. You know, I went home and I thought there's definitely a lot of hope for this country. Let's talk about some of those businesses that have impressed you. I mean, we've spoken to some of the entrepreneurs, disruptors in terms of how retail is executed in South Africa via an e-commerce platform to disrupting healthcare to going back to African systems of wealth creation. Which ones have stood out for you? And I'll ask you both this question, Mary, first. I suppose for me, Livestock Wealth, the concept was interesting. I mean, when they presented, I sat there and I thought to myself, how did you come up with that idea? I must be honest, it's not something that I'd heard before. It's not something that I think I would have thought about myself in terms of how one could invest. And I really thought it made sense once they had explained it. Yes, the entrepreneur is also quite interesting because he's got he's one of those that does have a step where he works. You can see uh, very hungry. He really wants to make things happen. Sometimes with some limitations, but I think that eagerness and that willing to learn and take his business to the next level is really what drew us to him. But having said that, I mean, I think every entrepreneur that uh, we have backed so far is definitely special in their own way. We've had challenges along the way as well with every business because of the stage of life cycle in which they are in. And sometimes you have to sit down and have the difficult conversations just in terms of how they spend money. Just because you gave them the money doesn't mean they can go and spend it anyhow. There is accountability that they need to to come back with. There is internal controls that they need to put in place. There's governance that they need to put in place now that you are using somebody else's money. And there's a lot of learnings along the way, I think, for both the entrepreneurs and the, the funder being ourselves. But I think over and above that, the joy also comes in when we have other institutional shareholders come on board to back the same entrepreneurs. It then shows that they are growing and that there definitely is faith in the solution that they're providing to the market. And for you and Chaupe, which one stood out? Quite a few of them have uh, stood out. But if I were to just pick too much Wi-Fi, given the mission that they have, It's very easy for us to speak about the digital economy, to speak about the fourth industrial revolution, but we forget that not everyone has access to the means to access these portals. The internet is one such uh, gateway. You need connectivity. In the leafy suburbs that uh, a few of us live in, connectivity is abound. But in rural areas, in townships, you don't have connectivity that's of a fixed broadband nature that is at an affordable price point. So too much Wi-Fi as a concept and really their mission is one that has been very impressive and we're very proud to be partnered with them on this uh, journey. But uh, secondly as well, uh, the ladies at Limulab, uh, the fact that they've come up with a very innovative way of teaching uh, young black children. And it's not just young black children, it could uh, also cut across to other indigenous languages, but young black children in the main, they're indigenous uh, languages. A lot of black parents complain that their children do not understand their mother tongue, if, if I can call it that. And Limulab has come up with a very fun and engaging means of uh, transferring 
the learning of language, which is very important in our uh, culture and our history. So that's one we have great expectations uh, of. And lastly, I guess the drive that the Rentosa team has, they really have a don't take no for an answer uh, attitude. Even from and you. <laughs> even from us. And Some just to the edge. We've tried. <laughs> trust me, we've tried. But uh, um, notwithstanding that, it's, it's good to see them grow from strength to strength. Mary, is there a business that stands out as a potential unicorn? Just in terms of, I suppose, the drive and the growth that we've seen so far, I would say definitely between Rentosa and Too Much Wi-Fi. When you look at their growth month on month, in these businesses, you don't measure growth on an annual basis. Uh, they are growing double digit month on month. So definitely got the potential. And when you also look at the drive of the entrepreneurs behind these businesses, definitely tells you that they've got the big picture in mind and really want to achieve great things. So we're also very expectant of them. And uh, without applying too much pressure, you know, we also provide the guidance to make sure that they're doing the right things. Chape, for you, which one has the potential to reach that unicorn status? Certainly uh, too much Wi-Fi, certainly Rentosa, and one that serves a market that has large scalability, but they are still in the process of really, really making a, a deep impact in, is Livestock Wealth. I mean, um, crowdsourcing of funding for farmers, particularly emerging farmers, that represents a big need. And Mr. Shazi has come up with a very innovative uh, platform. This is a service that can be extended beyond our borders. I think it has applications even internationally. So yeah, we're with the right uh, degree of guidance and the right funding and team uh, behind that business that could also be a unicorn. The one we forget to mention is obviously Kiro Medical. When you look at the products that they're supplying, really it's about making healthcare accessible and affordable. We know in this country how expensive medical uh, services can be. And also what we, we find, and we saw this through the COVID period in terms of just access to doctors. And sometimes there are certain conditions that can be treated from home but the current system says that we need to go out to a facility, a medical facility. So with them bringing the hospital into the home environment, I think, you know, it's got a huge potential. And there's also stats that show that, you know, when you are in an environment surrounded by those that love you, that you actually heal at a faster pace then. So that's definitely where that impact for Kira is going to come from. Knowing the stories of negativity in South Africa, both in the public and the private sector, what does it mean for you at a personal level to have been the stewards, the guides to these entrepreneurs with ideas that even if you explain to people at a dinner party, leave people absolutely gobsmacked, their mouths hanging, saying, what? How does it feel for you personally to say, I had some hand in that? Yeah, it's definitely been a life-changing experience for Annie. The first cohort that we had with uh, Kulisani One, you know, I attended the presentations for the last 10 entrepreneurs. Even for those that didn't make it, I thought, wow, these are brilliant, good ideas. Because a lot of the time you hear that the youth is lazy, the youth doesn't want to work, and they've got no ideas. 
I was so impressed. You know, I went home and I thought there's definitely a lot of hope for this country. There are people that are sitting, they're seeing problems and thinking about solutions. So it's not just the negativity all the time. Yes, some of them might not make it through, but just the fact that they thought about those solutions for me was a great thing. When we then moved on to Kulisani 2, it was even bigger. The business that we saw the second time around were bigger. There were better ideas. I think, obviously, as the MIC, we had also gained some track record where entrepreneurs heard about what we did with Kulisani 1 and definitely wanted to be with us and be involved with the MIC. So we saw even bigger ideas. And sometimes what we find is it's solutions to other existing problems or existing solutions just done very differently. Unfortunately, sometimes with entrepreneurs, what you also find is that when they come up with an idea, they get married to that idea in terms of how they're going to deliver it. And even when you're having the conversation and asking the questions that are how you're going to scale this up, how are we going to make sure that it works, how does the technology behind this work and so on, you find that they don't really want to move. So getting back to the question of, is there a market in the gap? You need to be able to make sure you can answer that. And sometimes a lot of entrepreneurs, all they see is the gap in the market. They don't understand that there needs to be a market in that gap. And for you, Chaupe? On a personal note, it's very rewarding to play a small role in helping an entrepreneur realize their dream. That's what we do through Kulisani. In being the uncle to young black business, you're giving them a step up, giving their businesses a chance uh, for success. We don't only offer them access to capital, which is the easy thing to solve for. We give them access to skills. We give them access to market through some of the businesses that we're invested in. On the skill side, which is probably the difference between cohort one and cohort two, is we've realized that there's a greater need for an intervention to help our entrepreneur cohort get to some of these answers quicker. We all take it for granted, but a lot of businesses go through a number of iterations before they get to the idea that helps them strike gold. Google started as just a search engine. What Google is today is very different. It's a media platform, one of the biggest media platforms in the world. And that's something we need to appreciate. We are here as a partner throughout the journey. We don't have all the answers, but we are certainly willing to work with our founder teams, entrepreneur teams to help them get to these answers. And the fact that we're happy to put our money behind what we say does make for a perfect partnership, in my view. I mean, Amazon started as a bookstore, an online bookstore. Look at them now. Mary, in the 13 years of your leadership at MIC, net asset value has doubled. Mm. What do you put that to? A great team. (laughs) It really is. You, you, You start by making sure you've got a great team around you. For me, the definition of good leadership is making sure that you've got the right people around you. Because as a leader, there's no way that you know everything. Half the stuff that Nchalpi knows, I don't know, very technical. And it's lovely to have work with a team that is so committed and they know what they're there for. And, and if you look at the tenure of our team, it's actually quite high. There are those that have been around 18 years. There are those that have been around 12. And we're a small team us to have such a high tenure rate. So I think it talks to the environment that we've built and the vision that we've got for the business. All of us have bought into that vision and we all work together towards it. 
Chopper, how important has the human factor, the personal touch been in identifying potential fundees from these ventures? It's one of the most important uh, aspects thereof. People like working with people they get along with or have aligned uh, values sets with. And a lot of the transactions that we are able to originate through one-on-ones are driven by personal relationships. So it's an important uh, consideration because trust emanates from uh, these kinds of relationships. There is this willingness to consult with one another to avail not just our expertise, but expertise from outside of MIC to help our small businesses grow, but equally help our larger businesses grow. So a number of the businesses that we are particularly the the mature businesses where we've been invested for a number of years, have recently embarked on digital transformation journeys. And we've been a part of not only that conversation, but in certain instances, we've driven the need to adopt this digital transformation. Part of what's important for entrepreneurs is not only the idea and being the originator and being able to see it through, but it's also the question of leadership. What about your leadership style have you imparted to these business leaders, to these entrepreneurs that you think will serve them? I'm not sure if they always think that I'm a nice person because I lead the tough discussions that we do have. And it is important that we have the difficult conversations in a manner, though, that still makes them feel like a partner in that relationship. So it's not about us or them. It's we are together in this journey and we're going to make it work. So even after that, they walk out feeling that I've got a partner who's willing to help me get to the next level. So part of the program that we're also giving is providing them with mentors that are not only in the MIC, but outside the MIC as well, just to make sure that they've got somebody else where they can bounce the idea off them. And sometimes, you know, it's difficult for us as the MIC to play the role of the funder, the investor and the mentor, because like I've said, you know, there is some tensions that go along with it. And then providing them with an independent mentor who has started a business, who's grown a business, who sold a business and taking them through their own experience and their own learnings has been great. So I think that they feel very supported I've always said to the team, we need to be careful that we don't take away the innovation that they bring with and put too much red tape. But at the same time, there are just certain basics that you need to make sure that you've got. So the discipline of financial reporting, as an example, you need to make sure that you instill as early as possible. So it, it is really bringing a lot of business discipline into their small businesses but in a way that makes sure that they can still grow without the red tip that sometimes it feels a big corporate can bring to the small businesses. Mary always reminds not only us as a team, but uh, the management teams of the businesses that we're invested in to take a moment to step back. Because sometimes we get so engrossed in the detail that we lose the bigger picture. Thank you for joining me, Bongani Bingwa. Mary Pomela, CEO of the Mine Workers Investment Company, and MIC CIO Nchaupe Kaule. Whether you're a startup looking to impress investors or you're looking to invest early in a potential unicorn but aren't sure what qualities to look for, there are countless gems of knowledge throughout the entrepreneur's journey with MIC Podcast. 
The Entrepreneur's Journey with MIC was brought to you by the Mind Workers Investment Company, your active equity partner. Catch new episodes on 702.co.za or your favorite podcast app.